Section 11. Sections 10 to 18 of Part 3 of the Works of the Right Honourable Edmund Burke, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Works of the Right Honourable Edmund Burke, Volume 1, by Edmund Burke. Section 10. How far the idea of beauty may be applied to the qualities of the mind. Nor is this remark in general less applicable to the qualities of the mind. Those virtues which cause admiration, and are of the sublimer kind, produce terror rather than love, such as fortitude, justice, wisdom, and the like. Never was any man amiable by force of these qualities. Those which engage our hearts, which impress us with a sense of loveliness, are the softer virtues, easiness of temper, compassion, kindness, and liberality, though certainly those latter are of a less immediate and momentous concern to society, and of less dignity. But it is for that reason that they are so amiable. The great virtues turn principally on dangers, punishments, and troubles, and are exercised rather in preventing the worst mischiefs than in dispensing favours, and are therefore not lovely, though highly venerable. The subordinate turn on reliefs, gratifications and indulgences, and are therefore more lovely, though inferior in dignity. Those persons who creep into the hearts of most people, who are chosen as the companions of their softer hours, and their reliefs from care and anxiety, are never persons of shining qualities or strong virtues. It is rather the soft green of the soul on which we rest our eyes that are fatigued with beholding more glaring objects. It is worth observing how we feel ourselves affected in reading the characters of Caesar and Cato, as they are so finely drawn and contrasted in Sallust. In one, the ignoscendo lagundo, in the other, Nil lagundo. In one, the miseris perfugium, in the other, malis paniciem. In the latter, we have much to admire, much to reverence, and perhaps something to fear. We respect him, but we respect him at a distance. The former makes us familiar with him, we love him, and he leads us whither he pleases. To draw things closer to our first and most natural feelings, I will add a remark made upon reading this section by an ingenious friend. The authority of a father, so useful to our well-being, and so justly venerable upon all accounts, hinders us from having that entire love for him that we have for our mothers, where the parental authority is almost melted down into the mother's fondness and indulgence but we generally have a great love for our grandfathers, in whom this authority is removed a degree from us, and where the weakness of age mellows it into something of a feminine partiality. Section 11. How far the idea of beauty may be applied to virtue. From what has been said in the foregoing section, we may easily see how far the application of beauty to virtue may be made with propriety. The general application of this quality to virtue has a strong tendency to confound our ideas of things, 
and it has given rise to an infinite deal of whimsical theory as the affixing the name of beauty to proportion congruity and perfection as well as to qualities of things yet more remote from our natural ideas of it and from one another has tended to confound our ideas of beauty and left us no standard or rule to judge by that was not even more uncertain and fallacious than our own fancies this loose and inaccurate manner of speaking has therefore misled us both in the theory of taste and of morals and induced us to remove the science of our duties from their proper basis our reason our relations and our necessities to rest it upon foundations altogether visionary and unsubstantial section twelve the real cause of beauty having endeavoured to show what beauty is not it remains that we should examine at least with equal attention in what it really consists beauty is a thing much too affecting not to depend upon some positive qualities and since it is no creature of our reason since it strikes us without any reference to use and even where no use at all can be discerned since the order and method of our nature is generally very different from our measures and proportions we must conclude that beauty is for the greater part some quality in bodies acting mechanically upon the human mind by the intervention of the senses we ought therefore to consider attentively in what manner those sensible qualities are disposed in such things as by experience we find beautiful or which excite us in the passion of love or some correspondent affection section thirteen beautiful objects small the most obvious point that presents itself to us in examining any object is its extent or quantity and what degree of extent prevails in bodies that are held beautiful may be gathered from the usual manner of expression concerning it i am told that in most languages the objects of love are spoken of under diminutive epithets it is so in all the languages of which i have any knowledge in greek the ion and other diminutive terms are almost always the terms of affection and tenderness these diminutives were commonly added by the greeks to the names of persons with whom they conversed on terms of friendship and familiarity though the romans were a people of less quick and delicate feelings yet they naturally slid into the lessening termination upon the same occasions anciently in the english language the diminishing ling was added to the names of persons and things that were the objects of love some we retain still as darling or little dear and a few others but to this day in ordinary conversation it is usual to add the endearing name of little to everything we love the french and italians make use of these affectionate diminutives even more than we in the animal creation out of our own species it is the small we are inclined to be fond of little birds and some of the smaller kinds of beasts a great beautiful thing is a manner of expression scarcely ever used but that of a great ugly thing is very common there is a wide difference between admiration and love the sublime which is the cause of the former always dwells on great objects and terrible the latter on small ones and pleasing we submit to what we admire but we love what submits to us 
in one case we are forced in the other we are flattered into compliance in short the ideas of the sublime and the beautiful stand on foundations so different that it is hard i had almost said impossible to think of reconciling them in the same subject without considerably lessening the effect of the one or the other upon the passions so that attending to their quantity beautiful objects are comparatively small section fourteen smoothness the next property constantly observable in such objects is smoothness a qualifier so essential to beauty that i do not now recollect anything beautiful that is not smooth in trees and flowers smooth leaves are beautiful smooth slopes of earth in gardens smooth streams in the landscape smooth coats of birds and beasts in animal beauties in fine women smooth skins and in several sorts of ornamental furniture smooth and polished surfaces a very considerable part of the effect of beauty is owing to this quality indeed the most considerable for take any beautiful object and give it a broken and rugged surface and however well formed it may be in other respects it pleases no longer whereas let it want ever so many of the other constituents if it wants not this it becomes more pleasing than almost all the others without it this seems to me so evident that i am a good deal surprised that none who have handled the subject have made any mention of the quality of smoothness in the enumeration of those that go to the forming of beauty for indeed any ruggedness any sudden projection any sharp angle is in the highest degree contrary to that idea section fifteen gradual variation but as perfectly beautiful bodies are not composed of angular parts so their parts never continue long in the same right line they vary their direction every moment and they change under the eye by deviation continually carrying on but for whose beginning or end you will find it difficult to ascertain a point the view of a beautiful bird will illustrate this observation here we see the head increasing insensibly to the middle from whence it lessens gradually until it mixes with the neck the neck loses itself in a larger swell which continues to the middle of the body when the whole decreases again to the tail the tail takes a new direction but it soon varies its new course it blends again with the other parts and the line is perpetually changing above below upon every side in this description i have before me the idea of a dove it agrees very well with most of the conditions of beauty it is smooth and downy its parts are to use that expression melted into one another you are presented with no sudden protuberance through the whole and yet the whole is continually changing observe that part of a beautiful woman where she is perhaps the most beautiful about the neck and breasts the smoothness the softness the easy and insensible swell the variety of the surface which is never for the smallest space the same the deceitful maze through which the unsteady eye slides giddily without knowing where to fix or whither it is carried is not this a demonstration of that change of surface continual and yet hardly perceptible at any point 
which forms one of the great constituents of beauty. It gives me no small pleasure to find that I can strengthen my theory in this point by the opinion of the very ingenious Mr. Hogarth, whose idea of the line of beauty I take in general to be extremely just, but the idea of variation, without attending so accurately to the manner of the variation, has led him to consider angular figures as beautiful. These figures, it is true, vary greatly, yet they vary in a sudden and broken manner, and I do not find any natural object which is angular, and at the same time beautiful. Indeed, few natural objects are entirely angular, but I think those which approach the most nearly to it are the ugliest. I must add, too, that so far as I could observe of nature, though the varied line is that alone in which complete beauty is found, yet there is no particular line which is always found in the most completely beautiful, and which is therefore beautiful in preference to all other lines. At least I never could observe it. Section 16. Delicacy an air of robustness and strength is very prejudicial to beauty. An appearance of delicacy, and even of fragility, is almost essential to it. Whoever examines the vegetable or animal creation will find this observation to be founded in nature. It is not the oak, the ash, or the elm, or any of the robust trees of the forest which we consider as beautiful. They are awful and majestic. They inspire a sort of reverence. It is the delicate myrtle, it is the orange, it is the almond, it is the jasmine, it is the vine which we look on as vegetable beauties. It is the flowery species, so remarkable for its weakness and momentary duration, that gives us the liveliest idea of beauty and elegance. Among animals, the greyhound is more beautiful than the mastiff, and the delicacy of a jennet, a barb, or an Arabian horse is much more amiable than the strength and stability of some horses of war or carriage. I need here say little of the fair sex, where I believe the point will be easily allowed me. The beauty of women is considerably owing to their weakness or delicacy, and is even enhanced by their timidity, a quality of mind analogous to it. I would not here be understood to say that weakness betraying very bad health has any share in beauty, but the ill effect of this is not because it is weakness, but because the ill state of health which produces such weakness alters the other conditions of beauty. The parts in such a case collapse. The bright colour, the lumen purpureum juventi is gone, and the fine variation is lost in wrinkles, sudden breaks, and right lines. Section 17. Beauty in Colour as to the colours usually found in beautiful bodies, it may be somewhat difficult to ascertain them, because, in the several parts of nature, there is an infinite variety. However, even in this variety, we may mark out something on which to settle. First, the colours of beautiful bodies must not be dusky or muddy, but clean and fair. Secondly, they must not be of the strongest kind. Those which seem most appropriated to beauty are the milder of every sort, light greens, soft blues, weak whites, pink reds and violets. Thirdly, if the colours be strong and vivid, they are always diversified, and the object is never one strong colour. There are almost always such a number of them, 
as in variegated flowers, that the strength and glare of each is considerably abated. In a fine complexion, there is not only some variety in the colouring, but the colours, neither the red nor the white, are strong and glaring. Besides, they are mixed in such a manner and with such gradations that it is impossible to fix the bounds. On the same principle, it is that the dubious colour in the necks and tails of peacocks and about the heads of drakes is so very agreeable. In reality, the beauty both of shape and colouring are as nearly related as we can well suppose it possible for things of such different natures to be. Section 18. Recapitulation. On the whole, the qualities of beauty, as they are merely sensible qualities, are the following. First, to be comparatively small. Secondly, to be smooth. Thirdly, to have a variety in the direction of the parts. But fourthly, to have those parts not angular, but melted, as it were, into each other. Fifthly, to be of a delicate frame, without any remarkable appearance of strength. Sixthly, to have its colours clear and bright, but not very strong and glaring. Seventhly, or if it should have any glaring colour, to have it diversified with others. These are, I believe, the properties on which beauty depends, properties that operate by nature, and are less liable to be altered by caprice, or confounded by a diversity of tastes, than any other. End of sections 10 to 18 of part 3 Recording by Florence